that gathers uh, to worship you today. And we pray, Lord, that we might be a part of that great gathering. Again, be pleased to accept our worship, our, our adoration, our praise, and our minds and hearts today be teachable. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> there was this uh, four-panel cartoon that showed different people praying. Uh, in the first panel, it showed a New Testament Christian praying, Lord, give me courage to face this accusing mob. Then this next panel had a Reformation Christian praying, Lord, help me to declare your truth despite, uh, despite the cost. Then it had a 20th century believer in North Korea praying, Lord, may we be uh, faithful and persevering under these trials and burdens. And then finally it had an American Christian praying and saying, Lord, I really need a parking place close to the front door. Uh, this uh, little letter of James, we're in chapter 5. Hopefully we'll finish by the, by the new year. That's our goal, that's our aim anyway. But uh, the letter of James, we're in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11 this morning. And uh, we've noted that it's addressed to uh, Jewish Christians that had been scattered and persecuted because of their faith uh, in the first century. Probably people that uh, James had once uh, had some pastoral um, uh, authority over. Uh, he loved these people and his writing probably still hears from various ones and his writing with respect to their specific spiritual needs at this time. And certainly they were suffering under persecution, being mistreated. Last time we noted that many of them were under some legislative, judicial oppression, some economic exploitation from worldly oppressors around them. Uh, certainly as believers, we, we understand and are strongly opposed to all forms of social injustice, <clears throat> economic injustice. is one of those things that's a fact of life in our present fallen world, a world system dominated by Satan. Uh, social justice is uh, not a part of the gospel, has nothing to do with our salvation, but it is an expression of our faith and evidence of our sanctification. Okay, so it doesn't make you saved. It just says that you are saved when you treat people uh, with equity, with, with godliness, with righteousness, concern. Um, <clears throat> certainly Christians um, uh, encounter uh, much of this in themselves. Uh, we noted in the last section uh, uh, where James uh, comes out against... Uh, uh, foolish worldly thinking that um, living for the present world, uh, profiting from the present world without regard to the will of God. He jumps pretty heavily on that in the first six verses of chapter 5. Uh, <clears throat> Weep and howl, you rich, for the miseries that are about to come upon you. And then... Um, he concludes this uh, in verse 6. It says, You've condemned and put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. Now, in this section, beginning with verse 7, he turns his attention to the people that are being persecuted by this wealthy 
landowner, rich man, whatever he is. But in this section, he will deal with believers who are suffering from this uh, exploit, exploitive behavior of the rich, if you will. Um, <clears throat> and he's going to basically tell us uh, how we should behave under circumstances uh, like that. Let me just read this for us. Verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and latter rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. He does three things in this section here. Basically, he, uh, he admonishes us to have patience toward those that are outside the church. You know, they're... They're the outsiders and the insiders. Uh, John says uh, uh, they were they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. There's an us and a them. He's talking about the them here, outsiders, if you will. And then he he also the second thing he 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 admonishes patience toward those inside other believers. We should be patient toward even believers, believe it or not are not always patient with other people. <clears throat> and then finally, he, he admonishes us to, to consider the modeling of other believers, especially Old Testament saints, uh, with regard to this matter of being patient, uh, enduring trials and circumstances like that. So let's look at this together. Uh, first of all, he admonishes um, patience toward those without. In verse 7, he says, Be patient... Therefore, brethren, he does know that as sinful human beings, even after we're redeemed, we don't always uh, react to injustices uh, and uh, difficult people the way we should. Uh, We're too quick to express some intemperate remark. Uh, Example, the Apostle Paul standing before the high priest, and the high priest had Paul slapped because he spoke out of turn and what did he do? You whitewashed. <laughs> this is the Apostle Paul. I guess if he can do it, believe me, you and I are guilty of this as well. If he, he does it, we do it as well. Okay. Uh, this, this expression, be patient, actually is an interesting word. It's, it's different from the word he, he uses back in chapter 1 uh, in verses 3 and 4. It says, <clears throat> knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Endurance is a different word. This is uh, Endurance has to do with circumstances. <clears throat> difficulties, external difficulties, problems you can't, you don't have any uh, sway over, you can't change. They're just really issues uh, that you're, you're going to have to endure, if you will. But you endure it 
uh, with joy knowing that God is, is, wor- is he's still in control of all these things, and so you trust him through that. This is not the word that he uses here in verse 7. It's a different word. He switches words on us here. This is a word uh, to be patiently enduring difficult people. Uh, patience with people, endurance with circumstances. So the one word has to do with your circumstances. This word he switches on us has to do with difficult people. And I, I've worked in jobs where my employer was just, he was horrible to work for. I mean, you know, he just, one of those, he made your life miserable. That was his job, to make you miserable. He saw to it every time you showed up for work. And he made your, your lives miserable. This is what we're talking about. People who are difficult, if you will, uh, to deal with. And he, interesting, he uses this word, be patient, three times. Be patient, therefore, brethren, till the coming of the Lord, before the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient. And then verse 8, you too be patient. So three times he uses this term, be patient, especially with regard to difficult people. Um, this is the idea of being long-suffering uh, or being long-tempered as opposed to being short-tempered. Don't, you know, somebody crosses you, you, you immediately, you're right back at them. Don't, don't be that way. Don't do that. Um, <clears throat> Paul uses the same expression, except it's translated forbearance. Forbear someone. And he says in the Romans 2.4, do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, God's patience toward people, his long suffering? Know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Matthew eighteen twenty six. The servant fell down. We'll look at this a little later too. In uh, Matthew eighteen twenty six, the passage where uh, Peter asks the Lord, "Well, how many times do I have to forgive my brother?" And Jesus says, 70 times seven." Then he gives the illustration of the the servant who took care of the. Uh, of people that, that needed to be corrected, needed to be punished, if you will. And uh, he says in Matthew eighteen twenty six, the servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience. This is the word of being patient toward, or being forbearing toward another person. Uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians five fourteen. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient toward all men. This is the expression here. Be patient toward brethren. Be patient, if you will, toward uh, toward others, if you will. Uh, so he notes <clears throat> back in six b uh, that uh, the rich had condemned the poor and had put to death the righteous man, and he doesn't resist you. <clears throat> so here, the believer that's being mistreated that he's been talking about. Uh, chooses not to resist or to fight back against the tyranny of this rich oppressor. And I don't really think he's saying that it's always wrong to not speak out and try to prevent injustices when you can, you should. Um, think of the, the Jews in uh, Nazi Germany and the people that didn't speak out. The, Christ, uh, the whole nation was a baptized Christian nation, didn't do anything and let... Hitler have his way in doing the evil. So there are uh, a lot of oppression due to Christians just standing around wringing their hands, watching uh, the rights of others violate. I think if we have an opportunity to do good, we should do it. We, we, we have these. We, we should look for those. 
but we are to trust God basically to avenge and to judge rightly. In Romans twelve seventeen, it says, Recompense to no man evil for even other. I'm not going to take vengeance on the person. If it gets to the place where I can no longer do anything about it, then I have to trust God in this situation. And I think that's what he's talking about here. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it's possible, as much as in you, live peaceably with all men. Here the difficult people. Patient with him. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. <clears throat> so he begins by admonishing uh, the reader here, you and I, to be patient toward difficult people. And then he gives the incentive for this, or the motivation for being patient with people or in difficult circumstances, if you will. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. So it's at this point, he tells us why we should be patient and how long we should be patient because Jesus is coming. And that's, when is that, that's when this is all going to be taken care of, if you will, especially with regard to difficult people. And again, it's like the 70 times 70, how long will say until Jesus comes. That's what it should be. So the primary motivation and the duration for his admonition to patience here is uh, until Jesus comes, until the coming of the Lord. And uh, this has been, this is something in the New Testament or in, in the Scripture, 500 and some times the Lord is coming, He's coming. Um, and he uses this word, this word for coming here, as translated until the coming of the Lord, is, uh, <clears throat> is the most common New Testament word for uh, the second coming of Christ, the coming. <clears throat> it's a word that refers to a specific event. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's usually associated with the royal visit of a king uh, to a city, um, a conquering king, if you will. But it, it carries the idea of a bodily presence. This king is he's coming in bodily presence, and it speaks of his arrival or his advent of this conquering king. Be patient until the advent of our Lord, the coming of our Lord, the arrival. Uh, this same word is used where Paul speaks of, he goes waiting and waiting for Titus to come, and then he says, then Titus arrived. And this is this word, Titus showed up uh, in his bodily prayer. He didn't send a letter. He didn't send an email. He showed up. He was there in his bodily presence. And then in 1 Corinthians 10.10, Paul's, when describing himself, Paul says, these false teachers are saying, my letters are forceful, but my physical presence is weak. My, my coming, and that's the same word. My coming is weak. My personal, physical presence. I mean, you the guy that wrote this. You know, it doesn't. This doesn't match that. You know. So, but basically, the point here is that you're to be patient until the bodily presence, the arrival, the coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty four three. Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us when will all these things happen? What is the sign of your your coming?" The same word here. Um, 
1 Corinthians 15.23 says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that, those that are Christ at his coming, his, his bodily presence, his arrival, if you will. Second um, <clears throat> Thessalonians 2.1 um, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto Him. So, so this is a, he, he uses a specific word, one of the most used word with regard to Christ's second coming here, uh, uh, with regard to an incentive, if you will, and the duration of how long we're to be patient until Jesus comes. Uh, believers should always live in the patient hope and the expectation and the certainty of Christ's soon return. <clears throat> and again, it's not some spiritual, mystical th- thing of Christ showing up here. Oh, I sense Christ's presence. No, this is the actual bodily, physical presence, the advent of the Lord that's coming. That should have a sanctifying impact on our daily life. A couple of scriptures with regard to that. Peter says in Second Peter 3.14, Therefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And then 1 John 3.3 says, Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. So it is an incentive for godly living. It's an incentive to be ready. It's kind of like at our house when people are coming, buddy, the vacuum cleaner hits the floor at that point. You know, we're, we're, we're getting ready because somebody's coming. And this is the incentive that Jesus is coming. We need to get ready. We need to get, make sure that this, our house is in order. And certainly we need to be, be, be patient in the light of that coming. It should have an effect upon us. <clears throat> then he illustrates this. So he admonishes us <clears throat> to be patient. And then the incentive here is because the look, Jesus is coming. And then the, he gives this illustration, verse 7, the last uh, section of verse 7. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about until he, he gets the early and latter rains. So he, he's reinforcing his admonition to patience with this uh, illustration of patience and expectancy. Uh, he gives the example of a farmer. Any Georges here? Any, anybody named George? <clears throat> That's this word, George. Where we get the word George is the word farmer. So you know any Georges, they, they should be farmers. But anyway, this, this, is, the, this is the term, uh, man of the earth. <clears throat> Just as the man of the earth, the farmer, George here, is waiting for due process. Every farmer has to be stable and persistent. You know, I, farming and even gardening, you've you got to be patient. You've got to fight bugs. You've got to fight weeds. You've got to wait. The rain's got to come. The, the temperature's got to be right. So you have to be a very patient and persistent, as he says here, waiting for the precious produce of the soil. So he's depending, here the farmer is depending on something to happen that's beyond his control. He's depending on the providential timing and the will of God. He's looking expectantly for something to come from heaven. Jesus is coming. I'm looking for something to happen. The Lord's going to come and intervene in this situation. So I need to be patient in light of that. For the farmer, he's this, this, this waiting, this process involves early and latter rain, as he mentions here. This refers to, uh, in Israel, the, the late fall uh, would be October, November, 
And then uh, the early spring, the latter rain, the early rains would be in late fall, November, October, November. Uh, the, uh, then the, uh, the latter rains are in March and April. The one germinates the seed and the other rain brings it to maturity. So anyway, James is saying here, <clears throat> and he's applying this to the intervention and the visitation of God into human affairs. When Jesus comes, he's going to right everything. All the social wrongs, I mean, all the stuff that we can't do, Jesus will do. He's going to set all that right, if he will. And so in light of that, <clears throat> the Scripture constantly tells us we're to rest in the Lord. We're, we're to trust in the Lord. We're to wait patiently for Him. Psalm 37.7. I love that passage. Psalm 37.7 says, Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him, and fret not yourself because of evildoers. Who does the fretting? Fret not yourself. <laughs> you have these things coming at you, but who does the real? Who's the one that's really pushing and and goading you to get into pro issues? And it's yourself. You're you're fretting over these things instead of trusting the Lord, trusting this situation to Him. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen says, "Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord, like a good farmer, like George." Galatians 6, 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't faint. Wait on the Lord. Keep trusting that the Lord is going to, going to take care of this for you. Then he makes an application here. So he has uh, patience toward those without and the, uh, difficult people. He admonishes uh, to be patient. The incentive is Jesus' coming. Illustration of a farmer. Then he makes an application. You too. Just like the farmer, he, you're to be like this farmer. You're to be patient and to strengthen your heart. So he applies this to us, you and I, the reader. When we're reading this, you too be patient, all right? Like this farmer. Uh, we're to wait and hope um, uh, for our expectations to be fulfilled from God, from heaven. Uh, being patient about it. Uh, we're not to act rashly. Um, two things we do rashly. We give up or we get even. We either, we, either, we either quit, give up, or we attack the people. We think we, we take it into our own hands. So those are our two basic uh, expressions to problems. Uh, and, and certainly we need to wait, as James says here, wait for God to act. Uh, he'll rain on the parade of the wicked. You can't do that. He'll do it. He'll do it very well. Um, and all of us hate waiting. Uh, someone said the only thing worse than waiting is wished you hadn't, <laughs> wished you had waited. <laughs> I've done that a number of times in my life. I, I, I couldn't stand the waiting, so I did something stupid. And then I wish, boy, I wish I had waited a little bit, you know, because the Lord would have worked it out. But he goes on to say, you two be patient, strengthen your hearts. Um, the idea is to stabilize, stand firm, be steady, be persistent. Uh, he's addressing us. He's addressing personal responsibility of each of us. Strengthen your heart. Um, <clears throat> the idea is um, uh, we're to have a determined resolve and conviction with regard to God's in charge and and he's going to take care of this instead of I I got to take care of it that's the that's the 
That's the strengthening. I strengthen myself in the Lord. I, I encourage myself that, that the Lord is going to handle this. We're to live as if everything depends on us, but at the same time we know that everything actually depends on the Lord. He's got, he's got to do it. You know? But he, I'm responsible to strengthen myself, to, to, to think back and think, you know, if God doesn't do it, it is not going to get done. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And he gives the reason again. <clears throat> uh, the reason to be patient is for the coming of the Lord is at hand. All right? uh, be patient until the coming. And then he says, be patient, strengthen your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Another uh, he reinforces this with this reason that, you know, Jesus is coming. You know, when I hear the uh, chairman of the Democratic Party say that the ultimate problem facing our country is people of faith. This is something they actually said. The ultimate problem of our country is people of faith, or Christians, you and I. I remember Jesus is coming. <laughs> and that that puts a smile on my heart. You know, it's like it changes my whole attitude to know that I can't, I can't do anything about this. I'm glad Jesus is coming. You know, it's not an earthly king. It's their, our heavenly king, Jesus. And that should strengthen our heart, if you will. Um, <clears throat> so be patient for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And again, uh, the idea here is the return of Christ. It's near. Uh, he uses an interesting word here, which means to be imminent, to be overhanging, something that could transpire at any minute. I think this uh, imminency is something that we as the modern day church have lost this expectation. Uh, certainly, uh, the people in North Korea, they haven't lost it. They, uh, they believe Jesus is coming. They have this anticipation that Jesus could come at any minute. And I can handle whatever this is because Jesus is coming. Looking for, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 4.5, let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. How, how can you tolerate? How can you put up with it? Well, the Lord is at hand. That's how I knew it. I, the Lord Jesus is coming. All right? Um, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober-minded, watch and pray. It's the wicked servant who thinks the Lord delays His coming for a long time. See how that works? That's a wicked servant to think Jesus isn't coming. It's the, it's the true servant that says Jesus is coming. I can handle this because Jesus is coming. And I, it, it strengthens my resolve. It strengthens my heart, if you will. Um, and Revelation 22 ends with, Surely I come quickly, even so come Lord Jesus. If you jump down to the next verse, verse 9, <clears throat> in the latter part of that verse, it says the judge is standing right at the door. Um, again, it's this uh, standing is an interesting word as well. Uh, not only is he near the, that hand, but he is he's standing at the door. Um, this is the idea of standing, having taken his place right at the door. Um, 
he, the idea taking the place uh, you get this, uh, this same word here he's standing at the door is used of the star Bethlehem star it stood over the place where Jesus was it took its place where it was supposed to be standing over the birth of Christ uh, in in Matthew 12 you have Jesus family standing outside took their place Outside, they didn't come into where he was. They stood out there. They were waiting, if you will. Um, in the tribulation period, the great tribulation, it talks about the Antichrist as the abomination of desolation. Stand when you see him standing, taking his place in the ho- in the holy place. Then you know the end is near. All right. So this idea of taking a place is what this word is about. It's a term that indicates proximity, uh, imminence, certainty. Jesus is about to enter. The question is, when will he open that door? And the idea is it doesn't have to be soon, but it will be sudden. They've all thought it was going to be soon, but they all understand when it does come, it'll be suddenly. When when he's already in place, all he has to do is step in. That's... That's, that's the nearness that we're talking about, the imminency when Jesus steps in into the situation of this world, if you will. Uh, the idea of uh, <clears throat> Matthew 24, Likewise, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, even at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So, you know, we have a lot of people... That say that Jesus is coming on March 12, 1988. Well, he didn't come. Let's make it March the, March the 22nd. And a lot of people do that, and it's really dumb. I mean, it's a really dumb thing to do, to set dates and say, this is when Jesus is coming. Everything looks right, so this is when he's coming. And people like to hear that kind of stuff, and I'd like to know when he's coming, but... If if I ever come up with a date, you can be sure that's not it. <laughs> because actually the Bible says no one can know. Uh, Matthew twenty four thirty six of that day and of that hour no one knows, not the angels of heaven, not the Son of God, but the Father alone knows. So we can't we can't really know. We should not be setting dates. It's dumb. It promotes disillusionment among believers when this happens. You know, when people say, I was so hoping that Jesus was coming, he didn't come, so you know, maybe maybe everything else is not to be trusted or worthy of trust. So we shouldn't be doing it. I mean, we're actually, if Jesus can't do it, who do you think you are setting some date? And so we shouldn't be setting dates at all. Um, since nobody knows when this is going to happen, it makes you wonder what all the hubbub is about, about the 70 A.D. and the coming. Since nobody knows when he's coming, how can you say that he came? in 70 A.D. See how that works? You can't set a date, but a lot of people set that date, but they excuse themselves. See how that works? That doesn't work right. It doesn't work right. So let's not be setting dates. Let's just be anticipating the fact that he's, he's, he's taking his position. He's standing right at the door, as James says. His coming is right at hand, and we don't need to be setting dates about it, all right? So basically, he says we need to be patient, 
He admonishes us to patience. The incentive is Jesus is coming. The illustration is the farmer. He applies this. You too, like that farmer, be patient. The reason Jesus is coming, he's right. His coming is at hand. He's standing right at the door. Then he goes, he switches a little bit and changes to being patient toward those within. I think in this verse 9, do not complain against one another, brethren. Uh, this word complain <clears throat> describes giving vent uh, or outward expression to some inward smoldering resentment. You know, this, this person, uh, he, he, he gets all the breaks or he, he's always saying something bad about me. He's always correcting me or he's doing something like, have these inward feelings. It's an, it's the, it's an inward sigh. It's a... Sometimes the word is, is expressed a groaning or a grieving, if you will. But here it's the expressing it outwardly. And this is kind of a human tendency for us to become exasperated in dealing with other people, maybe some situation as well, where we just, we, we become exasperated and we begin to blame others. We become resentful, vindictive toward others. Um, that, you know, it's the idea where something just kind of boils up and we speak rashly and we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, we're not to groan and complain about uh, how hard we, we have it and others don't seem to have it that hard. Here's the example. Peter says, well, if I'm going to die like that, what about John? What about John? How come, how come, I, how come I have to be crucified upside down? What about John? So this is the guy. He expressed something he probably shouldn't have expressed. But that's Peter, isn't it? And that's us. I mean, Peter is a grand example. You know, to look for me, you have to look under Peter and then down here. Yeah, he's one of one of Peter's apostles, if you will, or disciples, if you will. Uh, so basically, we're not to express this resentment toward other believers. In Hebrews thirteen seven. Continue to obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groanings. <laughs> it's the same word that he uses here. Not been, <laughs> you know, this guy is constantly bickering or constantly doing this, and they have to vent that toward us. So he, he used this idea here. You have these inward difficulties with someone else, and you express those. Uh, American Christians live, you know, we live in relative, you know, when you think of all the, the the troubles and the difficulties that we face, you know, that's nothing. I mean, we could be living, this could be a church in Rwanda and they could come in here with machetes and hack all of our heads off just because we're meeting together in the name of Christ. <clears throat> you know, we're worried about parking places. That's our that's our biggest problem. I got to get a parking place by the door, and that's what I'm worried about. But anyway, so the admonition here: don't complain against one another, brethren. And then he he gives the warning here that you yourselves may not be judged. So you're you're actually taking an assumption and judging someone for maybe their good their their good fortune or for something they said or something they've done, and you speak critically. He's already done that. Back in chapter 4, verse 11, where he says, you're not to slander one another, brethren. Don't speak critically of one another. Uh, judge not that you be not judged. Um, yeah, certainly, we should not be passing verdicts on people's character, their action, their motives. We don't know the facts. Uh, 
He goes on to say here, don't complain against one another. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. The real and rightful judge, not you. You're not God. You're not the judge. You can't, you can't examine someone's motives, but God can, and He's standing right at the door. So we should keep in mind that while we're not capable of judgment in most of these issues, um, our expression of complaint toward another person here if you will, are slandering another person. And apparently, he knows about all this that's going on with the people. He, he knows they've, they've argued with one another, they've been abusive of one another, they've done all these things. So he's addressing these real practical issues in their life and basically says that uh, uh, this, this, whole, this whole process uh, is going to be resolved when the judge comes. He's, he's standing at the door, if you will. So... Again, we're not capable of doing these kinds of things. And when we do it, that too will be dealt with. (laughs) Not only their problems, but our criticism, our complaining, our slandering of another person, that'll be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Ecclesiastes 7.8 says, <clears throat> Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So we need to be patient in spirit. So um, the Lord's going to even all this stuff out. In His own good time, He's going to do it. I need to strengthen my heart, waiting for Him, commit my situation to Him with a with a humble sense of submission to his will. You know, I, that I, God has allowed all this to happen to me for some reason, and so I submit to that. I submit to God is in charge. I'm not in charge. These people are not in charge. People that maybe deserve some snappy remark, <laughs> they're not really in charge. But God is, and I need to humbly submit to his will for my life. Then he comes to the final admonition here, the patience. We should, be, uh, we should be following the example modeled by others in verses 10 and 11. And we all need role models. Uh, and we all are role models. Usually it's for the bad. It's not for the good. We need, we need good role models, I guess is what I want to say. Um, and basically he's encouraging us to read our, our, our scripture, the Old Testament here for him. And soak up the lessons that are there. Um, basically, he gives several specific biblical examples that we need to be following. Uh, Paul says this in Romans 15:4. Whatever things were written in former times are written for our learning, that we, through patience, learning patience by looking at the Old Testament. This is really, where do I learn? Where's a good model for? You need to look at the Old Testament. For through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. Uh, Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, seeing we also are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that easily besets us. Let us run with patience. This looking at the witnesses, looking at examples, we're looking, these people will engender patience in our, in, on our, our behalf, if you will. Um, he, the first example is the prophets. He says, As an example, my brethren of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count these blessed who endure. 
Um, he's thinking of those divine spokesmen, those prophets in the Old Testament like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. All these prophets suffered affliction and at the same time exhibited great patience in the midst of all this. Um, uh, Hebrews 11, Matthew 5 says, uh, Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets. And again, the reference here is to look at the prophets, see how they suffered unjustly. We're in good company when that happens to us. Remember, uh, these people suffered terrible things. So it's going to require strength. It's going to require divine enablement to endure these situations. Not the parking lot one, but the one where you really are suffering for Christ because of some bad circumstance or some some really difficult people. And certainly, um, God is going to set everything right. It's not always on our schedule. You know, that's our problem. Yeah, but God, can you do it by 2.30? You know, I, I was kind of hoping you would show up at that time. He doesn't work on our schedule. And it may not even happen in our lifetime, but He's going to take care of that. And we, we strengthen our hearts knowing that God is still, He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He will take care of these things. So I can trust Him. I can trust this situation to Him. Um, certainly if these great men like the prophets in the Old Testament uh, <clears throat> were suffering persecution and opposition, why should we expect not having any of that in our life. Um, so then James goes on to say, Behold, we count those blessed who endured. And the uh, first thought is, well, how can that be a blessing to endure all that suffering? Um, how can suffering be considered a blessing? First of all, you need to know that blessing is not the same thing as happiness. Um, Happiness is more of a subjective, emotional response to something that happened. I got the cookie. It's like the grandkids, you know. I got to have the cookie. Well, supper is in ten minutes. I got to have the cookie. I get the cookie. I'm happy, but I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't have got the cookie. Uh, so this is a happiness is not the same thing as as blessedness. And a lot of churches teach health, wealth, and happiness. Um, but these are not the same thing as true blessedness or true faith. To be blessed is to experience the objective, alterable approval and reward of God for our trusting Him. That's a truly blessed person. The person that trusts God in the midst of all these issues, if you will, that person is blessed. i give you a couple of examples. Um, Luke one forty six and Mary... Uh, the Virgin Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the holy estate of His manservant. Behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Blessed. I'm blessed because God used me in some way to honor Himself. That's a blessing. That's the blessing here. Uh, think of Acts 5.41. Uh, where they were thrown into prison, beaten, brought before the council. And it says they were rejoicing 
that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. That's real blessing right there. It's like Paul and Silas, bloody, beaten, in stocks, couldn't get off the pain, and that prison in the dungeon in Philippi. And Paul leans over to Silas and says, doesn't get any better than this, buddy. <laughs> and they begin to sing God's praises at midnight. says the prisoners heard them. Prisoners are going, what are these guys singing about? I don't see anything to sing about or to praise God for. But they did. They were blessed. They understood God is still in charge and He's going to use all this for His glory in some way. Um, he goes on to single out another famous example that we're to follow beside the prophets. And he says in verse 11, you have heard of the endurance of Job and seen the outcome of the Lord's blessing and the Lord's dealing that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So here the classic example of patience is Job in the Old Testament. Uh, James here uses a word for patience again with respect to um, people. He's been using that, but now he, he switches over to the other word, his original word, patience and circumstance. So actually, I think he's talking about both. Difficult people, difficult circumstances, both of these things we trust God. He will get us through this. And he will, it, it's in His hands. We, we trust Him for that. So uh, this, he switches now to enduring, uh, persevering under difficult circumstances. And Job certainly is, he's a classic example of this. Um, <clears throat> so it's not one or the other, it's both. And uh, keep in mind, Job wasn't always patient with people. He had these counselors or so-called counselors and friends. They're always accusing, it's your fault, Job. It's, it's all your fault. I mean, great to have friends like that. But anyway, uh, he wasn't always patient with them, but he was always honest, uh, steadily, unswervingly trusting the Lord, loyal to the, the Lord's will in spite of all these afflictions from difficult people and difficult circumstances. And basically, he says uh, he, his faith was vindicated by his patience here. You've heard of the endurance, enduring, trusting God through all this. It vindicated his faith. So he speaks of the outcome of the Lord's dealing with regard to Job's long-suffering, enduring faith is a reflection of his godly character, um, his perseverance completely vindicates uh, his life and crowned his life with appropriate blessing, blessedness, if you will. I mean, God had a purpose in all the sufferings, even though Job didn't know it. You know, when we read Job, Job doesn't know about Satan coming for God and then God saying, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> it's like, God, could you not point me out to this guy? I don't really want him to know I'm here. And God, he doesn't know all that's going on. All he knows is the problems and, I mean, the, the, the tornado that hits and the, the loss of his family and his wealth and all these other things. That's all he sees. He doesn't really see the things behind it. And we don't, we don't see these things behind it either. But he ends in trusting God uh, praying for his miserable comforters, being greatly blessed by men and God, if you will. Job 42, 10 through 12. Calvin says, Afflictions ought ever to be estimated by their end. 
uh, not in the middle of this thing. You know, where's God? You know, what's God? I don't know. God knows. That's that's way beyond my pay grade to know those things. But I, I'm responsible to trust Him in the midst of that. Have patience. Wait upon the Lord. Uh, we're not to be irritable, resentful, revengeful toward people. We're to bear up under trying circumstances. And God wants us to cultivate both of these character qualities, these strengths, patience toward people, endurance in affliction and, and difficult problems. Um, and the outcome, he says, or the reason for this patient enduring affliction and trials is to bring us that place of blessedness, or that place of sensing His favor. When I, when I by faith, just trust Him, that's when the blessing comes. That, that, it's not the outcome, it's the faith. The faith is the trusting. That's the blessedness, if you will. There are four things patient, suffering, affliction uh, does for the believer. We trust God in the midst of these things. There are four things. First is, it proves the genuineness of our faith. Unbeliever will not do that. A believer, only a believer could be expected to do that. We, 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 we prove the genuineness of our faith. Secondly, it thwarts Satan's plan. He hates it. <laughs> he, he loves it when we are impatient, when we explode, when we do things that further His plan. But when we don't do that, when we do things the way God tells us to do, it thwarts His endeavors, if you will. And thirdly, it strengthens and increases our trust. Once we do it, then we can do it again. We can, it, 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 it builds, it, it strengthens that trust in the Lord. And then finally, it enables us to understand God. We, we begin to... All right, God, you do love me. You are caring. You do, even though I don't understand these situations, I know you're in charge. So it enables us to better understand God more clearly. And then, ultimately, in the, he closes in verse 11, uh, the outcome of Job's faith, if you will, in this dealing of the, with the Lord, uh, he understands that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. Uh, so it, it reveals that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And interesting, James coins a new word, only place it occurs in the New Testament, but it means um, it, compassion and mercy is the word for bowels. This is where they felt, you know, you know, when uh, when you see a loved one or someone dies and you grieve, it hurts you here. And this is where they this is where they they understood the hurt was here in my bowels in my stomach. And so he uses them, he coins a new word and says, many, many bowels. God is many bowels. And he, he has abundant, full of compassion, if you will. Um, I think it alludes to uh, Exodus where uh, Moses asked God to show him his glory in Exodus 33, 18 and 19. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord. And then you have to skip on down to verse, uh, verse 6 in the next chapter. Then the Lord passed by and he's going to show him his glory. And he, he, what he does is he proclaims, the, he proclaims the, the name of the Lord that God is compassionate and gracious. Two, two main things about God, full of compassion. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, abundant in mercy. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. This is Psalm 103, 8 and 13. Ephesians 2, 4 says that the Lord is rich, overflowing in mercy. 
you have to wring mercy out of us. That's not true of God. He is full of mercy, rich in mercy, full of compassion. Uh, be ye merciful, Luke 6.36 says, even as your Father is merciful. And we have a merciful high priest, uh, Hebrews 4. Um, <clears throat> connection between patience and mercy, Matthew 18. He says in Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother that sinned against me? Uh, seven, seven times? And Jesus said to him, I say to you, uh, <clears throat> up to seven times, I, I, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared, and then he's going to compare this forgiving attitude, this forgiving other people, the way God forgives us, he, he compares it and he gives this illustration, if you will. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with all of his slaves. When he began to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he didn't have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had and repayment be made. And the slave, therefore, falling down, prostrating himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay everything. Notice that word, patience. Have patience with me, I'll repay. The landowner had patience with him. But he went out and began dragging people that owed him money and, and being violent against them, Notice what it says in verse 33. Should not you also have had mercy on your fellow servant, even as I had mercy on you? What is patience? An expression of mercy. An expression of a character quality that God has an abundance of. And we need to be merciful, even as He is merciful. Let me close. <clears throat> we are admonished here in this section by James to faithfully endure circumstantial hardships and difficult people, all these things which are beyond our control, being patient with those uh, without losing heart as a part of the process of producing Christian character until and because Jesus is coming. In light of that fact, that we need to be patient. Uh, again, some practical suggestions on how we deal with our proneness toward impatience, toward people and getting exasperated in a bad situation or bad circumstance or with difficult people. Uh, five things. I got these from John MacArthur or somebody like that. But anyway, it says we need to meditate on the sovereignty of God. God is in control. He's, he's the one that permits and allows whatever happens. Uh, he has ordained suffering to, to come into our life that it might be a blessing to us. It has a higher purpose of developing our character. That's the purpose. The purpose isn't to kill us. The purpose is to develop a godly character where we trust the Lord in the midst of this situation. The second thing, we need to reflect upon the consequences of impatience. So when we're impatient, that's rarely beneficial, isn't it? it just really never seems to benefit us when we're impatient with someone or some circumstance. We always wish, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. So it, it, don't be that. It, it, the consequences of being impatient is never good. Third thing, we need to reflect on our own weaknesses uh, in light of the provocation of others. And so, you know, I am just a sinner. I'm, here, here, Paul can do it. Peter can do it. You certainly do it. I do it. 
we have this proneness to lash out and to be irritable and to say things we shouldn't say, to be impatient. So we need to understand our own weaknesses with this regard. Fourthly, we need to learn the positive value of good examples from faithful Christians who serve as model. They spur us on to pursue a stable, persistent faith in Christ. And I, I think about all the, men, the people in my life, the men and women in my life, that I look back on and it just makes me smile when I think of what they went through and how they, how they honored Christ by how they lived. It's, a, it's an encouragement to me to follow their example. I want to be like that. I want to be like that person. All right? Maybe you could be that person for somebody else. You know, I think that's what James said. And then finally, we need to meditate upon the certainty and the imminency of Christ's re- soon return. So the fact that Jesus is coming should motivate us to holiness and patient obedience in the presence. It should put a smile on your heart. It should strengthen your heart to know, hey, Jesus is coming. I don't care what that happens or what happens in my world. Jesus is coming and this is all going to be straightened out when He comes. And so I, I, I trust Him for that. Second Peter again in 1 John, it says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for these things, be diligent that you may be found in Him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is impure. Even as he is pure. So we're to exercise patience toward men, endure oppressive circumstances in the light of Christ's imminent return. Our Father, we thank You for these uh, admonitions from James. Uh, we ask You, Lord, to help us to take these things to heart. We do want to honor You with our life. We want to become an example for others. And we want to be pleasing to You in our behavior, in our thinking. And certainly we pray, Lord, that we would uh, have this constant expectation that Jesus is coming. It's going to be right. The Lord's in charge. Help us to live like that each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.